Your website is the front door of your business, but the way teams build and optimize is broken. Stuck between inflexible templates and cumbersome codependent solutions, there's a better, faster way. Enter Webflow, a visual-first platform that empowers you to create freely. Now you can ship web pages in weeks instead of months and save millions in development costs. These are the real results for companies like Orange Theory, Dropbox, and IDEO. Get started today at webflow.com. Webflow, more than a website builder. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today I'm talking with Simon Loudon, who is the president of Global Foods at PepsiCo. Simon, hi and welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to be here. It's great to have you with me today. I'm very excited. You have a lot of cool things to share with us today. Uh, So let's start by you sharing a little bit about your current role and why you decided to take that on. Yeah, sure. So look, I've been at PepsiCo for 22 years now, and I started my life in the UK with PepsiCo. I've been in the US since 2001. Currently, my role is president of our global foods business at PepsiCo, which is a phenomenal role for me. Uh, I'm loving loving the role, loving the work I'm doing. It's changed a bit more recently. Nadine, just, we've, we've actually, as you may have heard, Ramon, as he became CEO of the business, simplified our organization. And rather than having a separate nutrition business, a separate foods business, and a separate beverage business, any nutritional work is now being enrolled into either the beverage group or the foods group. So as an example, I now have taken on the Quaker franchise as well. So I have the ability and the the responsibility to build our foods portfolio all the way from indulgence through to nutritional uh, platforms, which which I'm loving. Um, I guess there's three big things I'd probably get into uh, on on a regular basis. The first is uh, I look at our longer-term strategic intent for for the business. My responsibility is about making sure we have the right development resources in the right countries and on the right product platforms. I'm responsible for building our current brands, making sure that the market share we deliver in our top 10 markets is is positive and is moving in the right direction. And then I, I look after capability as well, both capability building of the foods team, as well as more broadly how PepsiCo is thinking about media and content as we move forward into the 21st century. Wow. Okay. So you said, one, the longer term strategic plan, two, mm-hmm the current brands and the market share growth, and three, the capabilities, not just within the foods business, but across PepsiCo and especially around content and the future of what that looks like within PepsiCo. Did I get that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Okay, super. Can we start backwards? Because I really want to hear, how do you think about content at PepsiCo? I think it's probably one of the questions in marketing today. If I was joining the marketing industry today, by the way, I should probably mention, I, st- I started life as a geographer. I just want to put that out there because I, I studied geography at school and I very nearly became an accountant. Ooh. And then I nearly became a pilot and then a <laughs> marketeer. And, and, and I say that because I, I talk to a lot of students today and a lot of young people wanting to get into the, the industry, into the marketing industry. They always start with, how did I get into the business? And quite honestly, I'm not entirely sure how I got in. <laughs> um, 
And uh, all I know is that it's been a, a hell of a ride since I got in. But the second question I then ask is, what are some of the biggest challenges you see today that may not have been the case when you were becoming a marketeer? And this question of content and communication and agencies and media is probably the first, second and third question I get asked about. Now, Pepsi's probably always been synonymous with epic advertising, right? We all remember the days of Jackson's and Stewart's and Spice Girls and you know some of the great work we've done on Doritos and et cetera. But, but actually, we, we say to ourselves that although we may be great at marketing in individual markets around the world, we don't necessarily have a consistent approach to advertising and content everywhere around the world. And so one of my challenges and responsibilities is to try and make sure that we take the great work we do around content development and advertising development and make sure that is a consistent approach across PepsiCo. So that's what I mean by capability building. In the case of content and agencies, wow, what a question. I mean, it's um, we have everybody in the industry today feels a level of frustration with what we're getting from our partners, our agency partners. And is it agile enough? Is it efficient enough? Is it cost effective enough? Everybody is tinkering with bringing content development inside. As soon as that happens, you realize actually it's a bit harder than you think it's going to be. And you realize actually that our jobs are to develop and sell beverages and foods, not necessarily to develop content for all of those platforms. So we're trying to find the right balance. We have some great expertise in PepsiCo. If you were to spend time with our foods team in Dallas, uh, we've developed a really powerful content capability down in Dallas where we take an analytics engine we've built, we marry that with creative teams, and we develop always on content, particularly social media content, which would be the posture down in Dallas. Then you go all the way up to New York, and in New York, we have a Creative League studio, which has been designed and built to create longer form, larger form, more traditional type advertising. Um, So we've done some great work there for Gatorade, for for Lay's, for a number of brands, for Pepsi. So we have these differing skill sets within North America. Then you look internationally, and we're building content expertise in Moscow, in London, in Mexico City, in, uh, in, in Shanghai, in China. And so we are absolutely in the middle right now of determining how we do that, who we do it with, and the balance we need to strike between internal and external capability. I can guarantee you that we will not be moving to 100% content development inside PepsiCo. That won't be happening. There's a, we have some phenomenal partners, you know, Goodby, uh, BBDO, the Omnicom Group, WPP in Asia. We have some phenomenal partners. And they will have a massive role to play with us going forward. We're trying to marry that with agility and efficiency when it comes to potentially smaller form or more ongoing content internally. Okay, so this is fascinating. And I was in a discussion with uh, a leading marketer recently, and we were talking about the ability to sit creatives next to performance marketers to really address the agility challenge. And I would just love if you could share your thinking around that and you know where we are today versus where you think we can get. Oh, that's a great, yeah, great question. So agility, second most used word in marketing today, probably. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the reality is that human beings love to surround themselves with people like themselves, right? <clears throat> because that, what that does is it, it makes the conversations much easier, <laughs> and it makes <laughs> agree with you rather than disagree with you. And and I think actually the first point I'd make is we have to get 
comfortable with a higher level of discomfort making sure we surround ourselves with people who are very different to ourselves whether that be difference in skill sets capabilities backgrounds cultural backgrounds diverse backgrounds whatever it may be that's a really important posture for marketing leadership to take today um, so we try to do that here we try to make sure that if we're marrying creative talent with performance marketeers then we do that at the beginning of a process we make sure that partnership has the right level of empowerment and decision-making rights to make it a profitable partnership. Because actually I think one of the biggest challenges in organizations the sizes of PepsiCo and I could, and my peer group, I would suggest, is not necessarily just the process of development that you were just describing, but also the decision rights around that work. The truth is that over the last 15 years, I think many marketing organizations and many marketeers have abdicated responsibility to third parties, abdicated responsibility around strategy, around creative content development to outside partners. And so we wake up now in organizations where people and individuals aren't necessarily used to making creative content marketing decisions because they've let others do that on their behalf. So that's the first thing we've done. We've tried to ensure that if you're a marketer within PepsiCo, be crystal clear, your job, is to define the jobs to be done, the growth strategies, and the requirements for that brand. You don't go to third parties to do that. That's your day job. Then you need to look for expertise to bring into your team. And as you said, one of the biggest pieces of expertise we bring in are, are, are creative partners, whether we bring them in permanently. So down in, in Dallas, I mentioned the, the content development partnership we have down there. We have a number of creators that work with us internally and are working with us on an ongoing basis and actually employed by us. Same in New York, in the Creators League in New York, where we have a number of producers and creators that work within our teams on an ongoing basis. And that builds a level of comfort, a level of harmony, and that leads to trust and agility and speed. That's a powerful partnership. The trick we have to manage with our external partners, such as Goodbees and Omnicoms, BBDOs, WPPs, etc., is to forget the um, mandate of, we'll show you when we're finished, and embrace the concept of progress over perfection and make sure that we're rolling our sleeves up and getting our fingernails dirty on a daily, weekly basis, as opposed to waiting for a polished, finished article. Because the reality is those polished, fin finished articles are rare and you ain't going to get there if you just rely on time and absence. So there's some of the things we're thinking about internally at Pepsi right now. I love it. Fantastic advice. I think that these are great points that you're making. So thank you for articulating those so clearly. It's a good prescription. So let's back up for a second because you mentioned that you were a geographer. Yeah. You wanted to be an accountant. You wanted to be a pilot. And you said you're not quite sure how you got into marketing. But let, let's talk about that for a little bit. Like, how did you get into marketing? Uh, yeah, so I, um, I studied geography and geomorphology at at school at college in London which tends to mean I can at any given day I can tell you which country I'm standing in and which rock I'm standing on but that's <laughs> as much as I can probably take from that although I would say that one of the things I most enjoyed and I still enjoy when I speak to students internationally is studying abroad or studying in the UK is more about studying things you're passionate about rather than studying topics vocationally so geography, 
or English or literature, which is so, is a, I think, the backbone of many marketeers internationally. What that allows you to do is study something you love, which means you peel the onion back even deeper. You get to interrogate information with more integrity and you ask better questions, which I think is a phenomenal skill set for any marketeer today. So that's probably what I love most about what my studies at school in, in London. But it's when the, so then you come out of, you know, your final year and you say, okay, what do I do now? And the, back in, what, 1990-something, 1980-something, oh my goodness, 1987, I think it was, accountancy firms were on the rise. And so the easy milk round was to go and see accountants firms. And I had a few job offers there. And thank goodness I said no, because I know what I'm bad at. And that's <laughs> one of my days. I'm going to be honest. So I, I managed to avoid that. But then I, I actually, uh, I, I tried to join the, the Royal Air Force and I used to have asthma as a child. So that I got ruled out the last, um, I got, well, actually, I think I was part of the Royal Air Force for, for a day, 24 hours until they talked to one of my doctors. He said, actually, Simon, I've got to reveal that as a teenager, you had asthma. So they told the RAF that, and that meant that didn't happen. And then I met some, I met some Unilever folks, actually, and I, and I managed to, they were looking for students to train their interviewers. So I was like a guinea pig interviewee. So that went quite well. And then I got on a two-week residential course with Unilever. That went quite well. And I so I ended up joining Unilever. And that's honestly how it happened. And I'm so happy it did, I must be honest. So I got to work on brands like um, Lynx or Axe Body Spray, which I'm sure you know of. It's, I think it's the second or third biggest brand now. And I was part of the launch team in France and the UK for that brand. And I still remember my first advertising production. I had to stand on a table and demonstrate to the production and creative team how to use a body spray. <laughs> in those days, guys either used straight under the arm deodorant or aftershave, and the body spray thing didn't really work for them. So it was a new, which looking back on it now was pretty embarrassing. But at the time when you're, you know, 23, it's all good. So 22, it's all good. Yeah. Is there, is there any visual evidence of that moment left? Because that would be great to see. Yeah, I'm sure that would be. If there was, I can guarantee you, you wouldn't be seeing it. <laughs> so, um, no, I don't think there was. I think, I think that was just a, a, a painful memory for many people at the time. Yeah. Back to the education to marketing point. I think that one thing that's kept me in good stead is I, I tend to not take things at face value. I always want to ask the three whys, you know, and get to un- underneath a few things. And that's always held me in good stead, at, whether it be at Unilever or PepsiCo. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's interesting that you've been at both Unilever and PepsiCo because I keep hearing repeatedly how strong both organizations are when it comes to really helping marketers understand how to own a brand, own the entire P&L around the brand. Do you want to share anything on that and maybe what some of the learning curves are that people can aspire to overcome? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, so you're right. Unilever is a phenomenal company and as is PepsiCo. I think the, uh, the difference between the two when I, I left Unilever after about seven years and the reason I moved on was maybe a bit of personal anxiety that I thought it was, I should, I guess, which I'm glad I did, but that, that decision process probably wasn't the, best, the most powerful one. <laughs> but the, 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 the other dimension was speed and the, and um, urgency and PepsiCo I think still is and certainly back then was a more urgent organization this challenging mindset you know when individuals had the ability to make 
bigger and more decisions earlier on in their careers. Whereas at Unilever, you tend to be much more consultative. And I found it a slower process than one that I wanted to really be wedded to for the rest of my career, which is probably the reason I left. But you're right, in both cases, um, you, you get great grounding. I mean, Unilever, you spend the first two or three years of your life, six months in finance, six months in operations, six months in manufacturing, since six months as a sales guy. I mean, my, my most vivid experience was selling toothpaste in Scotland, in a Dundee, which was quite a rough place. So I ended up walking into a housing estate with a suitcase full of toothpaste into what the equivalent would be a CVS store, I guess, right? And being surrounded by a bunch of 22-year-old Dundee guys with knives asking for my briefcase. They were thinking it was money, turning out to be toothpaste. <laughs> All ended well. <laughs> but, it was, um, but I do think that, that those experiences of working at the coalface as early as possible is really important. And you have to understand and experience the customer face as soon as possible and as much as possible early on in your careers. That really shapes how you can marry practicality with aspiration. You know, Now I always en enroll operations and supply chain individuals as early as possible into projects because what typically happens at a Unilever or at a PepsiCo is you get to a third or fourth gate in the innovation process and realize that you're going to struggle to make the damn thing or to box it the right way or whatever. So that comes back to, I guess, the point you're making around creative partners. You have to have people with skill sets close to you at the inception of work, you know, and skill sets you're not used to. Unilever were great at that for training individuals and giving marketeers a very rounded brand development experience. I think when you jump into a PepsiCo company, one of the biggest experiences for me was working with a franchise partner like Britvic in the UK. So you may know that for most of our beverage business globally, we, we work with franchise partners. We were with Britvic in the UK, with Suntory in Japan, with um, uh, Schweppes in Australia. So we, have, we supply them with a concentrate kit and they bottle our, our beverages, which means you have to be damn sure that what you're doing is first class because you haven't just got to sell to consumers, you've got to sell to a franchise partner before it even gets to a Tesco's or a Walmart before it gets to a consumer. So it gives you a robustness to your thinking that becomes a credibly important discipline moving forward. And so I found that being responsible for a franchise relationship for marketing in the UK made me absolutely on my game and very understanding of levers away from just an advertising campaign, but ensuring portfolio management, P&L drivers, in-store placements, pricing strategies, revenue management strategies were all part of that holistic experience. So I think both of those experiences for me were, were helpful as I formed, formed a career in marketing. So very fascinating because you're describing this. There's one word that just keeps popping into my mind, agility. Mm. And so what you're describing to me sounds like the ability to really understand how organizations work from soup to nuts, how people come together, how they collaborate, helping to facilitate that. But would you say that at the end of the day, the goal for that is to achieve agility? I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe I can give you one more example around we're really stepping forward in the space of sustainability. And for us, that involves agriculture, it involves energy, it involves water, and it involves plastic as an issue for us. And rather than respond to the challenge, we want to lead the solutions. And a big part of that is ensuring we have the right resources 
in a team in place to charge at this challenge. Now, in a company the size of PepsiCo, there's a whole host of expertise across the business. You have government affairs people that are expert in dealing with sort of rogue governments and you know legislations coming out. We have R&D experts who are either expert at developing material solutions for today or expert at finding technology partnerships for the future. We have legal experts, we have supply chain experts and procurement experts. Where can you buy recycled PET from? What cadence? And those skill sets are not typical skill sets for a marketeer to surround him or herself with. So what, what I've found is as early on as possible, be agnostic to the people you're used to working with and be absolutely on the issue you're going against. And if the issue you're going against requires a holistic solution, be damn sure you have those experts around you from day one. That leads to a level of agility and responsiveness that you will not get if you don't do that. So by having some of the experts that I just described to you with me at the beginning of an agenda on plastics, we've managed to move 3x or 4x the speed we normally do to get into strategies and solutions that we know can help solve the challenge for us. That was a great example and uh, crystal clear. I could talk to you all day long uh, and, and ask you a million questions, but let's, let's talk about something else too, because yeah. you mentioned to me that your interest in the sustainability issue is not only personal and corporate focused, but it's also global focused. And you were talking about spending time at uh, WEF, the World Economic Forum, just recently. Mm. Can you share a little bit about your agenda there or things that you were trying to achieve? Yes, absolutely. And um, by the way, you make it easy to talk, just so you know. So, is, <laughs> although I would, add, I would add that I don't often find it hard, but you just certainly make it. Thank you. The, um, oh, yeah, I was lucky enough to go with uh, Ramon, our CEO, to um, the World Economic Forum in Davos this year. And it was fascinating. Fascinating on a number of levels. The first level was, I think I saw the emergence of a new sort of CEO and if I think of Ramon and, say, uh, Alan Joke from Unilever and <clears throat> David Taylor from P&G and a few others, you're seeing the marriage of, obviously, business intent and a myopic focus on results. But you're seeing that married with the right thing to do and the right thing to do for, for the people that work in those organizations, but also the right thing to do for the world and for the future of, of, of the planet we live in and we live on. I wasn't expecting to see that or to experience that, but that came through in just about every meeting I went to. I would suggest that maybe 35, 40% of the sessions in Davos in totality were environmentally led. And the vast majority of those were plastics and materials led. So I really enjoyed that. Our agenda, honestly, was to figure out who we could partner with, who we could work with to help be collective in solving some of these sustainability challenges. So we spent a lot of time with Dow Chemicals, a lot of time with Greenpeace, a lot of time with NGOs, a lot of time with Ellen MacArthur, who runs the New Plastic Economy. So a really diverse <clears throat> set of industries and partners, realizing that to solve the plastic challenge is not going to be achievable if manufacturers taken on alone. It's only achievable if the full supply chain from creation of plastic, manufacturing of bottles, using bottles and chip bags, collecting them, 
recycling them and reinventing them. Unless you can involve that full industry, it's unlikely we're going to get to a good solution. So that was honestly, Nadine, our big priority was to make sure we left there with a set of partners we felt we could work with. The second one was to make sure people understood our intent. So we're a market leader. We're a market leader in food and beverages. We're absolutely the market leader in, in foods and snacks around the world. With that comes a responsibility. We have a responsibility to lead change, not just to respond to challenges. And so we wanted to leave in no uncertain terms the feeling there that we as PepsiCo, we're going to lead this agenda with partners and being, bring a demonstrable change to this challenge, not just in 2024, which is very easy to say, but in 2020, 2021, and 2022. So they were the two, certainly for me, the two big objectives. Or the third one was to, just to be provoked. You know, I mean, you, you spend time with some brilliant people and it's just, you leave feeling very enriched and humbled, actually. That sounds like an amazing experience. And it sounds like you also met your objectives. So I can't wait to see what you're going to do next with this charge. It's a very important global issue, obviously. So thank you for leading the way on that. And, you know, I could, I really would love to ask you more questions around that, but we are coming close to being out of time. And so uh, I, I wrote a a quote down that I heard from you the last time I chatted with you. And I think it goes to what, (laughs) I think it goes to what you were just saying. So maybe it will also underscore, but I wanted to ask you the genesis of it. And you said, just because you aren't in control doesn't mean you're not responsible. Mm, Yeah, that's, um, I'm sort of relieved you used that one, actually. (laughs) I must be honest. That's good. Um, Yeah, I think, look, that's true across everything in marketing today, I think. So we all operate in these lovely matrix environments. At any given day, I'm sure most marketeers will suggest they have two or three bosses, you know. And what's true today is you have to leverage expertise from so many different places to make a difference in your organization and in the marketplace. And so people often use that ambiguity as an excuse not to be responsible. And, and actually, I think it makes you more responsible than ever before and makes you a better leader than you could have been in the old world. Because the reality is you will not be successful today if you're going to run through the brick wall independently. Back in when I started in marketing, you could be a Hail Mary champion, right? You could come out and produce something, a great 60 second commercial, which, oh my word, those are the good days, you know? So easy when we used to do commercials, <laughs> David Beckham and the Spice Girls, and you create impact, and people had no more than three TV stations and stuff, and life was good. You could be a hero then, an huh? individual hero. Now, the, com- the speed of change, the complexity, the choice proliferation, the challenges that brands are facing. You just can't do that. You have to leverage expertise from elsewhere. If you do that well, you will be a better leader. The best people want to work with you and you'll have greater impact. If you do it badly, then you'll abdicate responsibility and you will not make the differences you want to make in the marketplace. That is a big shift, I think, in the last 10 years of marketeers. If you're going to be a marketeer today, and you can't make that shift, I'm not sure you're going to be successful. Okay. 
fantastic advice. And I'm jotting all this down and I'm so glad I am, but I also will re-listen to this podcast several times, I'm sure. And I almost am scared to ask you this, but before I get to my very last question, I want to open up the floor to you and say, is there anything else that you would like to share from your toolkit of great tips and advice for marketers today? Cool. Um, maybe, maybe one more thought if I could, um, around learning speed of change is quite scary, particularly for individuals like myself who've been working for a hundred years in marketing, right? You look and you think, Oh my goodness, this is, I didn't grow up with data. My first phone as a team leader, I was traveling on a train from London to Leeds in the UK. And I had one of those phones that's the size of, you know, a foot tall and it comes in a big hard box. And that was my mode of communication with the outside world. And now, of course, it's just a different space altogether. So the ability for individuals and the willingness for individuals to learn, be challenged and carve out time for that, I think is a big definition of success going forward. So every, I think every marketeer should find half an hour a day to find something that's uncomfortable for them and learn about it. That is a very good tip. What I'm going to do is something really unusual now. So I always end my podcast by asking a very special question. And I think I heard the answer to that already in the beginning. And one thing we didn't cover in the beginning is what I'm going to end with now, which is we've been talking about marketing, but you're the president of Global Foods for PepsiCo. What prompted you to move from your prior CMO role into this president role? And what are some of your tips from that journey and making that move? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Then that's sneaky right at the end. Okay, I was yeah. on my like I was on my relax, sit back, and okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, wow, um, I was told to. No, I'm kidding. That wasn't the answer. No, the, it, it's. I think the truth is, I've launched a lot of products, made made a lot of TV commercials, campaigns, etc., and. I think it comes to the point about testing myself, you know, uh, that I was saying just a few seconds ago. I wanted to find myself uncomfortable again. And doing this when you're having to be responsible for a broader commercial agenda and pull levers you're not used to and work with people you're not used to put me into a zone I was very uncomfortable with again. And by the way, this was also in a world, I've spent most of my time at PepsiCo in beverages, not in food. So I also did that in a new category as well. So... Nadine, I think the honest answer is it was a move to make me uncomfortable and a realization that one of the things that I really enjoy is having people be successful through me and I won't be successful without them. This has forced me not to get, to let marketeers in my team be marketeers and to stop me jumping all over the marketing agenda. So I think there's some of the reasons why I did it. And I would just encourage people that when you have a chance to take on a role that's either a fire or is uncomfortable, take it. I, I took on the North American beverage role when the business was in trouble and um, with a phenomenal leader called Al Carey. And that taught me more in three years than I learned in 10. Uh, it was uncomfortable, but we, we turned the business around and on the back of that, individuals, teams, brands, the business all grew, which was fantastic. By the same token, moving into a category I'm not used to, into a broader commercial role I'm not used to, those things just test you and push you to new spaces. And I think at any point in a career, 
you need to do that. Otherwise you don't grow, you become stale and it forces you to learn, forces you to work with other experts and just broadens your agenda and your point of view. And I, I feel like I just made you uncomfortable, but it sounds like you like that. So that's good. Um, okay. So I, I'm, I'm a sucker. I can't resist. I do have to still ask you this question. If you weren't doing what you're doing now and you could do anything in the world, money and talent, no object, what would it be? I would be running treks in the Himalayas. Cool. And so okay. maybe I can give you some explanation behind that. So I think what, uh, what I'm, um, I love the outdoors. Uh, I love exercise. I, and, I, I, and I'm finding with the uh, whole sustainability agenda, this marriage of personal interest and business interest is really powerful. So I'd love to spend time in a part of the world that I haven't spent so much time in yet, which would be physically uh, challenging emotionally enriching and also give me a chance I think to get into some of the challenges that part of the world is facing with the broader sustainability issues we're facing as an organization and as an industry so I'm not sure if that's the answer you're expecting but that's what I'd love to do as long as I had a season ticket at Twickenham which is the home of English rugby which is my second passion in life so I want to make sure I had time to go and watch some player now and then apart from that yeah Yeah, well that's great and I wasn't expecting that one Um, when I said I thought I might know the answer and then you gave me the answer to the to the last question I asked you I I realized maybe I maybe it wasn't in the first series of things that you were exploring the geography the piloting the accounting um, and it looks like you brought geography back into the mix though I mean you know the Himalayas requires a little knowledge there you do need to know what rock you're standing on there I think I think it's important, always important. As long as you're standing on a rock, life is good. <laughs> when, it's, when it's sand, it's not, not so great. So. <laughs> well, on that brilliant note, uh, I want to thank you so much for being with me today. This has been a true pleasure, and um, we'll have to come back and do a round two with you sometime soon. Thanks, Nadine. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for, for your time. Absolutely. Have a good day.